0: is authentic or genuine, <laughs> in other words, when they're fake, are there telltale signs of inauthenticity, right? Can you, can you say that, okay, they're not doing this, so I know they're not real, or they're doing this, uh, so therefore they are fake. And if you were really honest, most of you would find it difficult to discern Sometimes it's, it's very difficult because you just figure, uh, some people figure everybody tells lies. Who can you really trust? But I'm going to give you a principle now, right, instead of waiting to the end of the message, uh, that is going to be very helpful to you. And I'm going to give you that principle by starting off ask you questions. Uh, why do babies cry sometimes when someone holds them who is not their mother? Why will a baby cry when someone picks them up when it's not their mother? Now, you can't say it's because they spent time going through the database of faces. And they've looked at millions and millions of faces and say, okay, that's not mom, 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 that's not mom. mom." And after a million or two or three million times or a billion times, how many people are on the earth? They figure out all those billions of people are not mom, but this is mom. So why is it or how is it that a, a, a child, a baby, an infant can basically tell who the mother is? Because They have spent day in and day out doing what? Looking at their mother, even as they feed. And those babies, they've never seen millions of people to know the identifying factors. They know what the genuine, what the real is because they spend all their time with the real. So how do we identify that which is genuine or not genuine or authentic? By looking carefully and reading carefully what? God's Word. So we know what's real and what's not uh, because we know the Word of God. We know what is memorex and what is not memorex. Remember the commercial, is it live or is it what? Memorex. You guys, remember that some of the older people used to tell me about those, those commercials. Is it live or is it Memorex? How can you tell what's real? Well, we know what's real because we read God's word, and as we read God's word, He reveals Himself to us, therefore, we know who God is. The more time we spend with Jesus, the better. We're also able to identify other folks who are not walking with the Lord. Amen? Uh, The better we're able to even identify ourselves when we are not walking rightly with the Lord. King David's story is a familiar one and especially his interactions with Bathsheba. We know he ended up impregnating her and then had her husband Uriah uh, killed uh, uh, because ultimately he tried to get, remember, his husband home uh, to be with his wife. He sent for uh, Uriah to come out of battle in order uh, to be with his wife to cover up Bathsheba being pregnant. But once he got back home, you remember what Uriah did? He says, you know what? How can I go and be in comfort with my own wife when my fellow soldiers, when my friends are in the heat of the battle? How how can I do that? So he never went in with his wife. So David, now King David trying to figure out, then what should I do? So he sends him back to the front of the battle, and at the front of the battle, you know what happened to him. He was killed. So David said to himself, "Uh, problem solved. Who knows that even killing someone will not solve your problem? You can diminish someone. You can kill them. You can try to destroy them. You can talk about them as much as you want, but that still will not solve your problem. Uriah was killed due to the transgressions of David. And that's how David covered up sin. How do you cover up sin? How do you do it? Well, you may not have murdered someone, but you say, you know how we get Well, I don't want to talk about that, right? And you think by avoiding the conversation that ultimately you'll be okay. Some folks blame others. Do we set up other folks uh, so we can look good? Do we make them look bad uh, so we can save face? The question is, how would the Lord have you to respond to your sinfulness? In fact, do you even care that you've sinned? Does your sin bother you? On his own, David, he thought that since he was in control of the entire kingdom, right? Uh, He figured that uh, since I have control over everything, then I can control the story. Right, Since I am the one that sends out messengers, since everyone listens to me, I will say whatever I want to say. I can control the story and I'm going to be all right. (laughs) Some folks have control over their co-workers, their families, and maybe even their friends. But there is one that we do not have control over. You know who that is? There is one that we don't have control over. There is one that we cannot manipulate. Do you know who that is? That is God. We cannot control God. We cannot manipulate God because God is too powerful and he's too bad in order for us to do that to him. You can never pull the wool over God's eyes. Sure, you may think that you can You may think that you're hiding uh, from all others, but God sees everything. Why? Because he is omniscient. And if you have spent time with the Lord, you should know his ways well and know you can never fool God. And guess what? God don't play. Amen? God don't play. So back to David, you know, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to David to deal with this cover-up. Would you turn with me to 2 Samuel? Chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1 beginning in verse 12. I'm sorry. 2 Samuel chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. Get that turned around. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city. One was rich and the other one was poor. See what I'm saying, David? I hear David say, yeah, yeah, uh tell me about it. He said, the rich man he had very many flocks and herds. Uh, today's uh, language you say he probably had lots of lots of buildings. He had lots of property all over the place. But the poor man, all he had was just one little ranch, little ranch house, one room. He, he didn't have much. He had one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Amen? That got to be a cultural thing, amen? Well, I guess some people consider their dogs and their cats their children, don't they? Don't they? So uh, we understand that. Verse 4, and now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take uh, one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Do you ever know, have known anyone that stingy and that tight? That tight that they got all this stuff built up that they're not willing to go into their own resources in order to uh, uh, even entertain their own guest? So David, he heard this story. David got mad. How dare this man do that to that poor man? How, what kind of nerve does he have? You know what? If I find him, me and my boys, we're gonna go and we're gonna hang him up and we're gonna whoop his tail. Where is he? Where I can say, Hold me back because I'm gonna get him now. Can't you hear David? Verse five says, then David's anger was greatly kindled. Kindled, do you hear that? Against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to what? So David said, the rich man who took a ewe lamb from the poor man, that the consequence of his action was death. You see, when it was somebody else, David was absolutely clear what needs to be done. But why couldn't he see himself? Do you ever consider yourself when it's time to judge another? I mean, have you ever stopped once to put yourself in the shoes of the sinner? Scripture speaks to the way we should consider ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed. That's what happens. He falls. So in other words, before you get up on your high horse, think about yourself. Because remember, one day you may find yourself in the same situation. But what do the next few verses say in 1 Corinthians 10? Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It also says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You hear that? So you think that you're the only one that had encountered that sinful situation, that David was the only one? Guess what? Welcome to the human race. I'll tell you what, I ask you the question. Ye that is without sin cast the first stone in a glass house. So there is a way out, Right? He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So in other words, uh, when we are confronted with sinful situations, God always does what? He gives us what? A way out God gives us a way out. Do you believe that? When was the last time you was you were confronted with sin? And how did you deal with it? But David, he refused to take the exit. He refused. He had an opportunity uh, to get out of it. Uh, he refused to open that door away from it. Uh, so he went ahead and entered into the situation, and then he harshly judged someone else without seeing himself as a sinner before God. What do you do when you find yourself on the wrong side of righteousness? On the wrong side of holiness, what do you do The good news, right? There's good news in Scripture. Can you say amen? Amen. There is good news. The good news is that King David eventually got there. Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1. And here it is. Ask God to wipe out your sins. Ask God to wipe out your sin. Did, did you hear me today? Ask God to wipe out your sin. As a matter of fact, uh, let's say that out loud, and you're going to say, ask God to wipe out my sin. Let's say it together. Go. Ask God to wipe out my sin. Now say, God, wipe out my sin. Together, go. God, wipe out my sin. Verse one, David says. I'm trying to imagine how, what was he thinking? Was he saying, have mercy on me? Or was he saying, God, have mercy on me? Oh God, according to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, wipe it out, blot out my transgressions. We all want God to eradicate our sins, don't we? Here are a few passages here in Psalm 51 that tells us, look at verse two. He says, wash me thoroughly, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse seven, purge me. Listen to the words. Purge me, God. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. He says, Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse nine, hide your face from my sins. Here it is again, and blot out my, all of my iniquities, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. Wash me, you know, purge me, Lord God. Uh, blot it out, Lord, I don't want it. So what we see in David now in song, and by the way, this is a song. He's singing this, right? What we see in him is a plea to God to obliterate his sin. In other words, David knew one very important principle, and that is that confession of sin is paramount when we think our relationship with with the Lord has been compromised. This is one part that you can't get wrong can't get it wrong but we can get it wrong for various reasons like thinking that god knows everything and if he knows that i have sinned uh, and therefore he doesn't need for me to repeat the obvious god doesn't need for me to tell god look i sinned against you god i did this jesus i did this if god knows everything if god is omniscient then why should i confess my sin why should i tell him what i did But we can also get it wrong if we think we're not sinners and therefore don't even need to admit wrongdoing before God. You are wrong. The problem with both of these scenarios is that they run contrary to God's character. Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5 verse 6. Numbers 5 verse 6. I'm reading now. Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit, (laughs) I like that. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, it says, and that person realizes his or her guilt, they shall confess their sin that they have committed. So when you realize that you have been wrong, when you realize that you have wronged God, the next step is is what? We need to do what? Confess. Now, even though that was under the law, uh, it still resonates uh, very loudly in the New Testament. And you know this passage uh, because I have uh, recited this several times. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he, God, is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, God is waiting on your confession today. God is waiting on our confession today, right now. He's waiting. So there is a correlation between confession of sin and getting cleansed from sin. Now, it is true that God knows everything, and he knows uh, how and why and when we have sinned. In fact, he knows that we've sinned even uh, before we've actually sinned. He knows when we're about to do it. He knows when we're about to not just think about it, right? It's one thing to think about it. And again, if we were absolutely honest, one thing that we would say is we, if, if our thought life held us accountable for sinfulness, we would never stop sinning. Amen. Now y'all know how y'all are. Now tell the truth. Amen. You think more bad than you actually do. And that goes whether you are young or whether you are old. You think more bad than you ever would do. So why confess the obvious? To confess it, it simply means to admit to some wrongdoing. But why admit a wrongdoing to one that already knows the truth? Why should I tell you? With confession, what we're doing, we're saying the same thing about sin that God says about sin. In other words, God is saying when you confess, do you say the same thing about that that I'm saying? Do you really say the same thing? Or you say, I just confess. I'm sorry, Lord. Right. This is what I hear sometimes. I'm sorry that that you caught me. I'm sorry that I got caught. But see, God is into the relational aspect. God says when we sin, we sin against him. Have you ever been in a situation uh, that uh, you know a person was lying and they were trying to, uh, trying to hide the lie? Uh, they're trying to hide the obvious what do you say? What do you tell them? You know what you say, right? He said, Just tell the. Yo, know, you're going round and round. Well, I know what you did, so and so. And you sit up there like you don't know nothing, and I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. And, and all you got to do is just tell the. In other words, say the same thing that's already true. And then when they don't say the same thing, it just makes you madder. Especially your, your kids, right? You know, you know that you did that. Well, well mom or dad, I, I didn't do that. It wasn't me. It was you know, they looking around, you know, up and down. It, it wasn't me. I, you know that you did that. No, it wasn't me. It was somebody else. When you live in a household with a lot of children, there's a lot of blame to go around. Amen. All right, and we may even ask them, why are you? Why are you lying to yourself? So in other words, we believe that it's better for the individual if they just admit the obvious. And by not doing so, it can make matters worse, even before the Lord. But in some cases, again, they refuse to say the same thing about sin, about their situation, and they dig the hole deeper. Why do we do this? We don't want to confess wrongdoing because it makes us look bad, or we don't want to suffer the consequences for what we have done. So, therefore, I'm going to keep it hidden, and maybe it'll just blow over. Maybe no one will ever, ever find out, and I'll be all right. You better confess your sins. Some people think they'll lose a certain status. You know, if I confess my sin, uh, my wrongdoing, uh, then uh, then they're going to take everything away from me. Now, this may be true. And one example of this would be King Saul, who ran afoul of God and always seemed to have a good excuse for doing what he was not supposed to do. King Saul had sinned against the Lord several times already, but now he finds himself spiritually cornered by God. So let's pick up this story, Uh, going back to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, Saul, this is King Saul, he said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, Saul says, now, oh, oh, by the way, so please pardon or forgive my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. Ah, Saul said, I'm done with this, right? Verse 26, and Samuel said to Saul, I ain't. Samuel, the prophet Samuel told Saul, ain't. Eh? He says, I will not return with you. Nope, ain't going. Ain't going down that path. For you have rejected the word of the Lord. Listen to that. You've rejected God's word. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. So Saul had already disobeyed God several times before. And now he finds himself in uh, between a rock and a hard place. What about you? Do you keep on sinning, thinking all you need to do is confess and you will get right back to where you were before? Do you think that your constant sin will not eventually take a toll on your life? Is that what you think? Okay, I get it. Uh, So you say, well, I'm under grace and not under the law. Amen. And you are right. But yet God doesn't play. and We can easily see how the Lord rejected Saul, but remember this, uh, he did not reject Saul as a person, right? It says in, in verse 26, uh, 1 Samuel 15, 26, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over what? Over Israel. Saul was rejected in a role, but not as a person. Did you all see that? Saul was rejected in his leadership responsibility, but not as a person. His role as king was compromised. And the thing is that we have to understand, especially knowing what we know about David, it is not like a one and done deal, but it was a series of transgressions against God. This was not the first time that Saul uh, brought in his penny-ante excuses before God. Do you know that? It happened once, he said, I'm sorry. Happened twice, he said, I'm sorry. Happened a third time, he said, I'm sorry. God said, I'm sorry, get out of here. Saul did not have the character to continue in leadership, but God still loved him. Bottom line is a person can be too flawed to continue to serve in leadership. You hear what I'm saying? That a person can be too flawed, yeah? Uh, You can do good things, right? You can be a bad leader and still do good things. Even Hitler did good things for some people, do you know that? Hitler did good things for people. But because his character was so flawed, uh, he did not deserve that leadership because he killed, had killed millions of people, uh, murdered. So your character can become too flawed to continue to serve in leadership. And this is one area we have to consider and think about very closely. So Saul eventually admitted, that. okay, he said, okay, Samuel, I get it, I get it, I get it. Man, I was wrong. I was all wrong. You know that? I'm wrong. I'm wrong, Saul. Uh -uh, I'm wrong, Samuel. Samuel, I'm wrong. I did it wrong. I did it the wrong way. You you caught me, man. 1 Samuel 15 verse 30. 1 Samuel 15, verse 30. Then he said, this is Saul. Right, Here, here's the confession again. I have what? Sinned. Now here's the kicker. I have sinned, yet do what? Ah, I have sinned, but put me back in my position committed to sin, but all right, honor me now, he says, before the elders of my people and before Israel. In other words, don't take my God, look, don't take my job away. Don't take my job away, God. You see, at the very Top of Saul's list was confession. But it seemed like what he really wanted was that place of honor. How do we know? All we have to do is look at the law of proportion in that verse. Then he said, I have sinned. So I have sinned was just a portion, a small portion. Was it not? He spent most of his time talking about what? Being honored. And then he he goes on later, that I may bow before the Lord your God. But that's like at the end of the conversation. He said, I sin, yep, yep, got me, get, honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me, oh, uh, that I might bow before the Lord your God. Like an afterthought almost. It seems like that. Regardless of how stately it seems to you, your position is not more important than your relationship with Jesus. Regardless of how high someone has, what pedestal someone has put you on, your position, your job is not more important than your relationship with the Lord. So if someone on your job tells you to do something wrong, they are asking you to compromise your relationship with God. If someone in your household asks you to do something wrong, they are telling you to compromise your relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not more important than your relationship with God. If we really look at his actions overall, it was probably the main reason why he confessed in the first place. Again, he was more interested in a place of honor than he was with his relationship. And this is what the Lord saw in Saul. The Lord saw this, and this is why he rejected Saul as what? Leader, not as a person, but he rejected Saul as a leader. T.S. Eliot said this, and I quote, half of the harm that is done in this world is due to people who want to feel important, end quote. Half of the harm that is done in this world is due to people who want to feel important. For a leader who is only interested in themselves, they eventually harm people. A leader that is more interested in themselves and how they look and the honor that they will receive, eventually they will harm people. Uh, Did you hear what I said? Maybe I didn't say it loud enough. I know I'm speaking pretty loud, a leader who is interested in themselves more than anything else, eventually they will harm lots of people. Mock my words. Huh. You hear what I'm saying? Hope you hear what I'm saying now. Amen. All right. After a third time, God in essence said, "How can you lead my people if I'm not the main priority? How can you lead wait, these are my people. How can you lead my people if I'm not the main uh, priority? You see, I'm the one that's leading, and these are my people, and you're just there. You're just a figurehead, right? I am the spirit. I am the power, right? I am the God. I am the righteousness. I am the divinity, right? I am the one behind this whole thing. So how can you not follow me? Follow me as I follow the Lord. If I don't follow the Lord, you know what I want you to do? You know what I want? I'm giving you permission. If I don't follow the Lord, I want you to not follow me. Because if that was you, I would have been gone before the second word came out your mouth. right? So if I'm not following God, then you are not obligated to follow me. Why do people follow broken leaders? Why? Because they don't want to judge? What is it? Especially when they keep on Keep on. You see, the people, they don't belong to the leaders. They belong to the Lord. Now, this church is not my church, this church is God's church. This is how the will of God may be also exercised in the church through its people. No, it's not a democracy. It is a theocracy, and it is, it is the collective spirit of everyone together that makes up the church. This is part of the reason why we are in the denomination that we're in, because we have that as part of our ethos, right? That's part of who we are. Yeah, there's still a leader. Yes, the leader leads but you're part of that church. And when that happens, unity grows as the church is strengthened. Are you operating in the strength of your giftings in order to allow the church to grow? Many other times, however, God's will is exercised through very clear leadership. So the point of all this is that uh, for God's people, uh, uh, true uh, heart confession is necessary. And that confession means turning to God and away from sin. So do you know when you have sinned against God? Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4. David said this. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. God, I wish I could just take an eraser And erase that out of my memory. I see it, Lord. I see it. I know what I did to Bathsheba. I know what I did to Uriah, and I just can't shake it. This is what he's saying. He's saying, I can't shake it. He's saying, my my, my waking days, I keep seeing Uriah. I keep seeing what I did wrong, my waking days. Then verse 4, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So this psalm seemed to have been written by David after Nathan the prophet confronting him about his sins. The sin had been committed and now he is bringing his sin before the Lord. So eventually I said, David, he got there. Did I not earlier? Eventually David got there. Yes, it's true that he needed to be confronted first. Nevertheless, he brings his sinfulness before the Lord. I mean, David, think about this. Even after this, think about this for a second. Even after this, that God still lifted him up. Did he not? God still honored David, right? Because we think of the Davidic covenant, uh, those who have been studying, you know, on Wednesday night theology, right? The Davidic covenant. The throne of David, he still is lifted up very high. So God still honored him. But what was the key to that? Confession. Confession. What did you do wrong? What did you do wrong? And have you admitted that to the Lord? Saul, he, he just refused to do that. So again, what does it mean to sin against God? It's easy to, to decipher when God tells you something to do. You do the opposite, then you know you have sinned. And we see that in 1 Samuel 15, 18. And the Lord went to you on a mission and said, Go devote to destructions the sinners, uh, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? That's 1 Samuel 15, verse 18 and 19. Why did you do, why did you do opposite of what God told you, to, told you to do? But we also know that sinning against the Lord is when we sin against people. Look at verse four. So David, we know what he did with Bathsheba, and we know that he killed Uriah, but this is what he says in verse four. Against you, you only have I sinned. What? You sinned against Uriah. You killed that man. What do you mean against, against God? What does, what does David mean by this? He's singing, strumming his, his lute, right? He says against the Lord, you only have I sinned. Because David, he knew God's word. And he knows what Exodus 20, verses 13 and 14 says. Huh? You see, David, he knew the word of God. And he knew what Exodus 13 and 14 said. Verse 13. Exodus 20. Here it is. Here it is. You ready for it? Hard to remember. Come on, read this together. Verse 13. Ready? Go. You shall not Oh, so God said don't go around murdering people David had Uriah murdered so he said I sinned against God He know he sinned against him verse 14 you shall not commit adultery he did both of them back to back King David did a two for one special two sins for the price of one unrestrained passion the problem is not created by what we know, folks. The problem is created by what we don't do with what we know. That's where the problem is. By disregarding God's truth, we set ourselves up for disaster. And this is true whether we're talking about adultery, we're talking about lying, theft, or violating God's principle concerning our financial dealings. What do you say about your sins? Do you say the same thing that God is saying? And it's always better to initiate your situation with God than to allow him to begin the discussion. Can you say amen? But also know, even with Saul, that God loves you dearly. God still loves you. Amen? Let's pray. Father,